the kingdom of God and its connection to the Old Testament in terms of the, some kind of reference to that. And um, to start with, uh, I just want you to have a think about your dream. What's your dream um, for the world? What's your dream for the world? Because I'm going to ask you to just give me a little synopsis of what your, a, a brief summary in one word or a couple of words of what your dream for the world might be. Um, but before we do that, we're going to um, show a video clip that most of you will be familiar with. Um, it's is Martin Luther King um, in 1963 on the, the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, um, giving his famous I Have a Dream speech. Well, it's not the whole speech, uh, maybe we can just watch the whole of the speech and you don't have to listen to me. <laughs> that would be certainly more inspiring, I think. But we're just going to capture the, the last um, few minutes of that, um, of that speech. Thanks, Al. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. One day every valley shall be exalted, and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is a faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, 
we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Uh, you must feel very proud as an American. Uh, <laughs> it's so wonderful to see a man with a dream. Uh, his dream of uh, a world or a nation without uh, racial inequality, a land characterized by freedom. What's your dream for this world? Sally, you have a dream. Equality for men and women. Beautiful. Somebody else. What's your dream? Sorry, you get you to repeat that. Just, just, just that restored community section. Yeah, restored communities, restored governments, restored societies, um, the broken made whole. Beautiful. Alex, you have a dream. I'll put you on the spot. Sorry. 
um, a society where equality doesn't just stem between the disabled and non-disabled, but amongst gender and race as well? Beautiful. Does anybody have a dream? More just governments and greater accountability for democracy. Lovely. Spoken like a true socialist. <laughs> I have a dream where broken families will be mended and children will be returned back to their parents and back to love. Beautiful. Esther. I guess a place where, um, well, a state of being where everyone's really honest with themselves and with each other and I guess the liberation that comes from honesty. Great. Thanks, Annette. I have a dream that the... That, um, there will be a voice for people who are hurt and suffering and those who have a heart to be a conduit for healing will actually have the time and the space and the resources to bring about that, that healing and that wholeness for those people as well. Beautiful. Fantastic. Well, God has a dream. And um, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, is uh, God's dream, God's dream for this world, which is the really kind of each one of those dreams that each one of you folks have expressed actually sit within the context of the big dream of God for this world. Uh, Walter Brueggemann um, wrote these words, the central vision of world history in the Bible is that all of creation is one. Every creature in community with every other, living in harmony and security towards the joy and well-being of every other creature. And the most staggering expression of, of the vision is that all persons are children of a single family, members of a single tribe, heirs of a single hope, and bearers of a single destiny, namely the care and management of the earth. A cluster of words is required to express its many dimensions and subtle nuances, love, loyalty, truth, grace, salvation, justice, blessing, and righteousness. But the term that has been used to summarize that controlling vision is... Shalom. I believe that God's dream uh, for this world, world, world is actually summarized in that beautiful Hebrew word, shalom, which we've spoken about just uh, recently here in our community. But just to remind you of what this word, which we translate into English uh, as peace, that it it's, it's, um, transcends just this concept of peace. But shalom is wholeness, it is harmony, it is well-being, it's 
healing, it's prosperity. And the little phrase that we have, um, I guess, embraced as a community is that shalom is a world in which nothing is broken and nothing is missing. And so God's dream for this world is the world as it was always meant to be, a world in which nothing is broken and nothing is missing. And the Garden of Eden um, presents to us a picture of what shalom looks like in action. And as you unpack that story uh, in Genesis, uh, the early chapters of Genesis, we see a world in which there is peace and harmony between God and humanity, between people, between humanity, between man and woman. So a community where love and mutual service is uh, the, 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 the tone of relationships that the individuals that make up that community are not only at peace with one another, but they are at peace within themselves. There is a world without guilt and without shame where people have a very clear sense of identity as being made and shaped in God's image and likeness. And there is a very clear sense of purpose that we have been born to um, cultivate and care for this world that God has uh, shaped for us. And fourthly, that peace and harmony was seen within the natural created environment, the, the, the world that God had made. And so in that uh, little snapshot that we get to peek into in, in that, those early chapters of Genesis, we see the world, we see everything as it should be, this Wonderful harmony, this incredible sense of well-being, of, of order. And as we're probably familiar, that um, biblical, as the biblical story unfolds, shalom is lost and is displaced. And that sense of peace and harmony between God and humanity is, is fractured. The peace between people... Um, Peace in that realm of community is, uh, is lost and no longer are, are people governed by principles of, of love and mutual service. But that is replaced by violence and accusation and greed and oppression. And individuals lose their peace. And guilt, that sense, I have done wrong, and shame, the sense, I am wrong, become the human norm. And there is a loss of identity. We lose that sense of being made and created in the image and likeness of God. And there is a, also a loss of purpose. And instead of caring for the creation, this environment that God so lovingly shaped and formed for us, we begin to work against it in ways which are, are unsustainable. But the good news is, is in the midst of this kind of broken um, world in which uh, shalom is set to the side, God establishes a people, the nation of Israel, whose role is to reestablish 
shalom. And to help this community live at peace with God and with one another and with themselves and with the physical environment, God gives Torah, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And within Torah, um, God outlines the moral, the economic, the social, uh, spiritual, and environmental principles that help cultivate and facilitate shalom. And as you unpack those um, first five books of the Bible, you see there is particular emphasis is is given uh, to caring for the poor, for the widow and the orphan, for the oppressed, for all those that kind of sit on the margins of the world. There is this encouragement from God to take care of them, to be aware of them. And um, one of the key words that's connected with, uh, with, uh, with shalom is this, the word welfare, is to make sure that there are set in place um, uh, processes and systems that ensure the welfare of those that are on the, on the margins. And also within those five, first five books of the Bible, the instructions that, that God gives is instructions on how to care for the land. And so we see in those in the Pentateuch how to live well with God, how to live well in community, how to live well with oneself, and how to live well with the world around you. And so this community, this nation of Israel, were encouraged to embrace Torah in order that they could live out Shalom. And they were to do that in a way in which they were a light to the surrounding nations as a sign or a symbol or a a sacrament um, that others around them could look at and go, oh, I see, that's how the world was meant to be. Unfortunately, um, Israel regularly mistreated the marginalized. They disrupted um, community by actually permitting and perpetuating inequality and injustice. And as a consequence of that, shalom was lost. The shift away from Torah... um, resulted in a brokenness. Brokenness between God and humanity. Brokenness on a societal level. Brokenness within. And brokenness with the created order. And so what God would do is God would raise up um, prophets who would act as a conscience to Israel, who would remind Israel that they were to particularly enact two things, righteousness and justice. They are two of the, the biggest words in the Old Testament. In fact, um, the words righteousness and justice appear some 900 times in the Old Testament. And the word righteousness um, in Hebrew means that 
which is as it ought to be. That which is as it ought to be with particular respect to relationships. And so righteousness within a Hebrew um, context or framework was about social righteousness. Within our Christian context, we tend to view righteousness primarily um, through the lens of our vertical relationship with God. We see righteousness operating like this. But within a Jewish um, world, righteousness, while it did have application um, uh, vertically, it was primarily righteousness was outworked in the way in which we engaged with community. And the word justice means to put things right, to intervene in a situation that is wrong and fix it. And so this was the message of the prophets, reminding Israel that they were to enact and to embody righteousness and and justice. And when they did that, the result would be shalom. Shalom would be restored when the people of God followed Torah, enacted righteousness and judgment. This is what um, Isaiah 11, verses 16 and 17 says. Then justice shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness shall remain in the fruitful field. And the work of righteousness shall be peace, or the work of righteousness shall be shalom. And listen to this, and the effect of righteousness, rest and security forever. And so when the people of God embraced righteousness, a societal righteousness, and when they embraced justice, they saw a wrong, they saw an injustice and sought to fix it, then what was re-established was harmony and well-being and wholeness. Unfortunately, the, um, the voice of the prophets was largely unheeded um, by the nation of Israel. And on one occasion, or the nation of Israel were carried off into, um, into exile, into captivity into um, Babylon. And so here is um, the people of God who are now displaced. They've been taken against their will. They've lost their, uh, lost their culture And they're yearning to return to the promised land. And there they are in in Babylon. They're despising their captors. And they're angry with God and questioning even if there there is a God. And in the midst of this um, scene of incredible uh, despair, Jeremiah the prophet begins to prophesy. He begins to speak to the nation of Israel. And in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, he writes, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Seek shalom for the Babylonians. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it experiences shalom you too will experience shalom. And so what God is asking the nation of Israel to do, it 
the lowest point in their history is to invoke God, is to call upon God for shalom to come into Babylon. To, the world, to, to those who have taken them captive. In other words, God is calling his people to wish the best, to wish wholeness, to wish well-being on those that have come and stripped them of what is theirs. So, such is the priority and such is the dream and such is the vision of God for shalom for the world. And the prophets continually were urging Israel to live towards this ultimate vision, this dream of a world in which harmony was restored. In Isaiah 65 and verses 17 through to 25, this is the ultimate dream to which the prophets we're pointing Israel towards. Isaiah says, Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be, be glad, rejoice forever in my creation, and look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will become a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees, and, cho- and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their ha- hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. I will, I will answer them, and they will even call to me. But while they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. And so this is the vision, this dream of shalom that God presents um, to the nation of Israel. And what emerged out of this, um, out of this thinking was something which is called, and Fred, Rabbi Fred Morgan will be horrified by what I'm now about to say, but I will attempt to say a Hebrew phrase. Tikkun Olam. T-I-K-K-U-N-O-L-A-M. And at some point in the near future, Fred is going to come and he's going to share in depth on this incredible concept which the Jewish people hold to. And Tikkun Holam, Olam is this concept of God repairing and restoring the world. God healing the brokenness of this world in every sphere, in every level. That Tikkun Olam is a world in which there is wholeness 
in all things. You see, Tikkun Olam and the concept of shalom fit the Jewish framework of how Jewish people view life. They see life uh, and this world as being integrated, as, as one. Jewish people give very little thought to the afterlife. You go through the, the pages of the Old Testament and you see very little reference to eternal life or a, a, another world after this world. Sitting at the very forefront of, of Jewish thinking is this concept of the world being made new. A new heavens and a new earth. A world in which wholeness and harmony and peace characterize the social order, the economic order, man's relationship with the earth. And the problem with Christianity is um, when we severed our Jewish roots, what we did was we embraced um, dualism, which was a philosophical approach to life, a worldview which uh, Plato and other uh, Greek uh, thinkers promoted. And dualism is this idea that um, there are two realms. There is this world, the physical, the tangible, that which we can see and touch, our body. And then there is the spiritual world, the invisible realm. And dualism says that, that this world... Um, is, what's the word for it, um, is secondary, is not as important. In fact, this, this world, this earth, and this realm, that which we see, the realm of the senses is in fact evil. And within Jewish, uh, sorry, within, uh, within that, that um, dualistic um, construct, that the church embraced. There is this separation. And there comes um, a sense of escapism, which is why the church has placed so much emphasis on an afterlife, on a world beyond today, because this world is evil, this world is corrupt, and it needs to be escaped from to a better world, the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm, where all things are good and perfect. And because of that disconnect, because of that separation, and because of the emphasis on the spiritual, one of the consequences of that is shalom is not important to us. And what we emphasize is harmony between God and man. That becomes our primary focus because it's in the realm of the spiritual. And yes, we value harmony at this level, but we're not willing to, or very, uh, a small portion of the church is really committed to the principles of shalom, of righteousness as a social righteousness and justice, a repair of all structures at all levels.
was just reading a paper which, um, which uh, um, Josh wrote on, uh, on individualism, absolutely brilliant paper, and we're going to get him to uh, share one Sunday on, um, on how ind- individualism works against kingdom. And he starts off with this quote by a guy called Mark Driscoll, um, who says, I know who made the environment. He's coming back and he's going to burn it all up. So yes, I drive an SUV. (laughs) In other words, this world is actually unimportant. What really matters is the world to come. What really matters is the, the life hereafter. And so we can rape and pillage this planet, live unsustainably, it's okay because Christ is returning. That statement is a direct result of dualistic thinking, which is contrary to the Jewish framework or Jewish worldview that the longing of God's heart is shalom, a world in which order and well-being and wholeness on all four levels between God and man in the realm of humanity, internally within us, and with the context of the world that we live in. What um, Walter Brueggemann says is this, that shalom defies all dualism. Shalom is God's vision for how he wants this world to be. A world without injustice, a world without oppression, a world without violence, a world where the people that sit on the margins are welcomed in and embraced and included. A world where wholeness, peace is experienced vertically, horizontally, in terms of community, internally, and in the way in which we engage with this world, this good world that God has made. When Jesus stepped into time and place. He brought a message. It was a message of the kingdom of God. A message that actually could be summed up. And this is what my um, belief, the kingdom of God is. Is the kingdom of God is God's dream for the world. The kingdom of God is shalom, a world in which nothing is broken and nothing is missing, a world where there is harmony on all levels, a world in which we are given the privilege of sowing seeds of shalom. And that, folks, is our responsibility and the job that God has given us. That in our relationships with one another, in our engagement with society, 
and our engagement with this planet, we are to sow seeds of shalom. They may be small, they may be small gestures, but every time that we resist oppression, every time that we recycle, every time that we embrace those who are on the, on the edge. Each one of those moments is a breaking in of shalom. It is a breaking in of the kingdom of God. It, are, it is us participating with God in God's dream for this world. Leslie Newbigin, I'll finish on this point, says that, that the role of the church is to do th- three things. Firstly, we are to catch a glimpse of God's dream for this world. A world of shalom, where all brokenness is repaired. Once we've caught a glimpse of that shalom, is that we are to then articulate God's dream in ways that catch the imagination of our generation. And then thirdly, Newbigin says that we are then to live in ways that embody and anticipate God's dream, even if imperfectly and in part. And so, as we begin to unpack further over probably the next little while, um, the concept of the kingdom of God. I want to throw out to you that a suggestion that, for me, when I think of the, frame, the, 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 the term kingdom of God, the way that I frame that is I see it within the context of shalom and I see it and I frame it in a way in which this is God's dream for our world. God's dream for every individual that peace and harmony would exist between them and God. That peace and harmony would exist on a relational level horizontally. That each person would experience shalom internally. And that we would work towards creating a planet that is sustainable and livable for all. So, thank you for not waving. <laughs> Any questions or comments? Um, I feel like I did a naff job this morning, but um, I'd appreciate if anybody else wants to just kind of shed a little bit of light or nuance what has been said. Thanks, Grace. Um, I just thought it was important. I, I think what you said was amazing. It really resonated with me. Um, I just think it's also important to... I wanted to bring in the idea of the way in which things are sort of... We can idealise this Garden of Eden mentality and that everything post the fall is sort of negative and, and whatnot. But I think the... Um, <laughs> The reality of how we live 
is important to acknowledge and to embrace because we are in this life and this is like we can't really change that we're sort of in this motion of things and I was just thinking of sort of the idea of death that we live off it's actually really beautiful like we live off dead plants or animals or whatever and that cycle of the seed is actually the sort of rebirth and death of that and even before the Garden of Eden before the fall there was the evening to morning the the death of the day and the resurrection of Mm. it and that theme has always sort of been there and I think looking into like Romans 5 where it says you know um you know and rejoice in your suffering because it creates perseverance it creates you know that hope and character and it talks about the peace which is formed through it of that shalom of that um hope for eternity and it's sort of like in the way in which we already live and the the same things are they sort of give us that that longing for shalom yeah. Um, yeah. So I just Which is to what we're going to be looking at. Oh, that. Cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just wanted to introduce no, that. That's fantastic. Can I just say that um, the Jewish understanding of the world is that the world is good. That's the es- es- essential posture of, um, of a non-dualistic approach to life and to the world. So for Jewish people, um, this world is good, that God has given all things to be enjoyed and there is a sense of celebration uh, in life the western construct which has been influenced by uh, dualism from plato and, and greek thinkers is that the world is evil and corrupt and that has probably been the most one of the one of the most significant um um it, 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 it is so marred our understanding of, of, of the world and we frame everything or, you know, we have this concept that the world and everything in it is bad. Um, that is definitely not the case. In my view, I, I would hold to a Jewish understanding of, of this world that, created, that God has created. It is essentially good and there are seeds of shalom that are visible all around us that if we have eyes to see, and our role is to contribute to a further sowing of, see, of seeds of shalom. I just wanted to sort of think about how we look back on Eden as well, because Eden is, um, is a beautiful picture of shalom, but what I love about the idea of um, God bringing shalom and the restoration in the kingdom is that it is actually broken things being made whole, and there's mm. there's something quite beautiful about that. Like it's an even more um, beautiful picture of God as the restoring God, God as yeah. the um, one who takes us fragile jars that we are, and um, yeah, just restores us. It's a beautiful picture. Absolutely. I'm Kat. Hi. I read about this really amazing thing like four months ago and it's an old um, Japanese form of restoring pottery um, and it's called kintsukori and what it is is when like a really beautiful old handmade jar would be broken instead of mending it really slapdash with a bit of slip and whatever um, they'd mend it with gold and there's this deeper reverence for the jar because there's an understanding that it's more beautiful for having been broken um, so I think that's a really cool picture. What a great illustration. Beautiful. 
you did a good job. Thanks. Um, uh, I'm just sort of working through, um, I think you're right saying that dualism has robbed us of this concept of shalom today. Um, and in your reference to that shalom being possible vertically, so my question is actually about that vertical reference horizontally um, in the community around us in the world that we live in. Um, I think, I wonder, and I wonder what you think of this, that th that even that reference to our vertical relationship with God actually robs us of a concept of God being very present right now where we are in the midst of the, uh, in the midst of the, the that tension of um, uh, here but not yet. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering if there's another way of sort of thinking about our relationship with God. I understand the authority issue and, you know, when, when in some, well, actually, we're joint heirs with Christ. I'm wondering if there's enough, another framework in which we can sort of think about um, our relationship with God that is not dualistic, that invites in this concept of shalom right here and right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. I, I f if, I f if I'm following your thought, I think participation would be the way that I would um, understand that, that God is here present now. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is present, then our participation with God in the sowing of shalom is a living out of that connection. So it's not just, yeah, yeah I agree with you, we start creating dualistic thoughts when we kind of categorise things like that. But if we see God present in the here and now, and we're participating with God in his mission on the earth, in the restoration of, of shalom, um, then for me that breaks that sense of dualistic thought. Does that answer your question? I don't know if anybody else wants to kind of build on that. We'll come back to you in a sec. I was actually just going to say something that um, I think you mentioned this week, um, just in terms of a bit less about shalom and more about the pursuit of God. Um, you were kind of talking about how um, the rabbis, rather than, uh, in, in Jewish culture, rather than us kind of taking our Bible and sitting, sitting alone in a room and pursuing God and pondering God and pondering the Word and praying individually, the rabbis actually would see that, would actually much prefer to study the Word together. Um, and in that process of pursuing and exploring God, that God is honoured and uplifted and that perhaps the answers aren't the answer, but the um, honouring God and discovering him together can be that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I'm just yeah. using Steve's words, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so that's relationship with God in community. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to say pretty much the same thing, just First John 4 where it says, you know, no one's ever seen God, but when we love each other, he's in our midst. And I think that's another, you yeah, know, like it's not necessarily vertical, but yeah, that way as well. Yeah. So in the, act of, in the act of loving others, God is there. So, no, I think it's like critical for us to have that understanding that God is actually here with us and it's actually in this participation. Uh, it, it like helps our understanding of expectation 
expecting where to see God when mm. God is actually already very present. He's already bringing his kingdom in. His kingdom is already here. And often we long for that sort of that other world that doesn't yet exist, that perfection, that absence of pain, that absence of suffering. When actually it's here, we can embrace it. We can release that, like Walter Brueggemann says, that, that little bit of shalom, that little bit of brightness or that little bit of the Holy Spirit that is present in that moment, in that pause, um, and I think it's, it's, uh, it helps set us free from that disappointment of that world that doesn't exist, this other perfect world, because yeah. it is here right now. That's right. Which is, um, I think that's what Shane's talking about, the, the living in the tension of the, of the kingdom now, but not yet. Um, let's stand. And um, now we can... Um, probably just need to just have a little conversation, a bit of housekeeping. If we'd like to finish church earlier, um, it would kind of be nice if people turned up earlier. <laughs> so we can kind of do this a couple of ways. One is we can, I, I really like the whole idea of um, a service starting at 10, but we kind of, the first 10 minutes, and you turn up before 10, you know, the first 10 minutes is coffee and chat and get to know you. And then we start kind of the call to worship at t- about 10 past 10. and then, But this morning was kind of like 20 past 10 because there was hardly anybody here. And it's kind of difficult for these guys who um, spend their time, they arrive early and um, serve us by leading us in worship. It's really difficult to do that when kind of people are walking through the door um, sort of at least 10 minutes after the time that we're designated to start and I just really feel for guys like Paul and others, myself, who'll be leading next week. <laughs> so he says selfishly. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's just really helpful. So if you're happy for us to finish at 10 past 12, then it's no drama. Um, but if you'd like us to finish a little bit earlier, um, then just um, come a little bit earlier. So we've just got to work through that as a community. And uh, let's say that we, our service starts, there's people, the doors are open normally from 8.30 onwards, so you can come from 8.30 if you, if you like, and if you do that, you will be given a job, don't worry, uh, you won't sit around, but we'll start at 10 past 10. There'll be no tea and coffee? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just saying, that's all, just saying, just uh, highlight that to you. Let's... Um, Anthony, would you like to share the benediction with us? I've got it written down here. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favour and give you his shalom.